Well, I do want to say it's great to sit and worship with you guys. It's a very warm sense you have here of um, just uh, the fellowship together. And uh, it's great to come and see a, a church that has a sense of excitement about it because I do go to some that kind of don't so much, I, I hate to say. And uh, I, I just don't get that. We're, we're followers of Jesus Christ. We should be excited. There's there's whole world to be excited about. Um, I don't know what I'm doing here, okay? Um, how this happened was Andy sort of stopped in and he was chatting and he said that you were looking at membership and baptism and those sorts of issues and I very politely said, oh yes, we've been through that. In fact, I think why he came to see me because he knew we'd been on a similar journey and I said, oh look, is there anything I can do to help? Would you like me to come in? Yes, he said. I was only being polite, Andy. Um, you know, you're supposed to refuse at first um, but there I was, so here I am. Um, now, I'm glad to be here. I, I, I don't feel particularly qualified. I'm not here as an expert in, in that sense. Um, I was just on the way up here. I was going, you know, I could claim to be a bit like Paul, you know, when he says I'm a Jew of the Jews sort of thing. You know, I, I can claim to be a Baptist of the Baptist when I think about it because my father was a Baptist pastor and my brother now retired in Queensland as a Baptist pastor. And uh, some of you might know my uncle, Frank Willis, is a Baptist pastor. And um, uh, my brother-in-law is a Baptist pastor. He was the principal of Perth Theological College before he retired. And my son is a youth pastor at Carlingford Baptist Church. So you can't get more Baptist in one sense, can you? I, I think I'd better go join the Presbyterians or something just to bring some balance back into it. But... Um, but this is a great subject. I'm going to actually speak more on baptism and the point, the link of that to, uh, uh, to membership today because I think that's a really important way to approach that. So let, let's begin with uh, this reading I've got from Romans chapter 6, 1 to 11. Paul says, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin and order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, just to dive into that passage just for a little bit, um, if, if you look carefully at it, even though I sort of said, you know, I want to speak about baptism and membership, it's actually not primarily about that at all, let's be honest. It is primarily about a call for us to live free from sin. Uh, just, just look at the way it begins. 
Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it, says Paul. So the very opening words are, let's be free from sin. And then he talks about baptism and its meaning and all this. And then he concludes in verses 11 uh, with these words. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we start by saying we should be free of sin and we finish by saying we should be free of sin. So what comes in between should be the pointer of how we begin to live that life together. So what does he say? Well, the big, big lesson is that baptism, and therefore church membership, has meaning and importance only because the death and resurrection of Jesus are infinitely important for our rescue from sin. And that's the first thing we've got to say. It's really all about Jesus' death. It's not about whether I'm a Baptist or a Presbyterian. It's not really about whether I've been baptised or I haven't been. It's not really about whether I've joined a church in a formal sense or not. Ultimately, everything that we have about our identity, the transformative, powerful stuff, is that Jesus died for us and rose again and he will never die again. And more than that, he calls us to join him in that experience. And that's why baptism is important. It's not important of itself. It's important because the thing it points to is the most important action and the most important decision we can ever make. So it's not that baptism's important. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that's important. But baptism points to that. So therefore it's a thing to be celebrated and I think to be uh, enjoyed, and that's why Jesus in his wisdom commanded us to be baptised. So we're not talking mainly about religious ritual here or human associations like membership. Uh, we're, we're not talking church tradition. We wanna, I just want to start this whole conversation by saying we are talking about Jesus Christ and his magnificent work of salvation, dying for our sins and rising to new life. He is risen! And that's the thing that should unite us and excite us. And the rest of it, we just work out from there, okay? And sometimes we'll work it out a bit this way and sometimes we'll work it out a bit that way. That's okay, as long as we've got that main thing right. But this, of course, is why Jesus commanded that we be baptised. Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why did he include baptism in that? I understand discipleship, but why baptism? Because baptism reminds us as we're lowered under the water, that Jesus was lowered into the ground in death. As we rise again from the water, it reminds us that Jesus rose again to life. And as we walk out to, new, new, to the rest of our life, it reminds us of the newness of life that Jesus gave us. So it's, a, it's in much the same way that we understand the Lord's Supper so much easier, don't we? Because you get a bit of bread and you get a bit of uh, juice. And we understand body and blood. And boy, it's just such a powerful pointer to Jesus' death and resurrection. Yeah, and so is baptism. Uh, isn't it interesting that the two things that we call uh, sacraments that Jesus instituted both point to that central event in his life and human history? You just can't stop talking about it. If you ever stop talking about Jesus dying and rising again, you've lost the plot, okay? So, so Jesus said, every time you come together... Actually, it's interesting, we do it... Uh, my subject's not communion today, but it fascinates me that, you know... He had a meal for heaven's sake and we get a morsel. That's the first thing. And the second thing is we do, what, once a month in church? 
Jesus said as he sat at the table and broke the daily bread, whenever you do this. So don't, don't just restrict it. Anyway, that's a different subject. I'm getting distracted here. But, but again, it points, doesn't it, to his death, his resurrection, which is the life-transforming, hope-filling, gospel-filled message that we have for the world that's in. Um, so that's why Jesus uh, commanded it. And, and secondly, there, there's a lot of theology here. I haven't got real time to unpack in this passage, but Romans just uses some wonderful words here. It says that in baptism we achieve union with Christ in his death and resurrection. I mean, I would never have dared use language like that if it wasn't biblical language. I would never have been so arrogant that we are united with Christ even in his death and in his resurrection. And listen to this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Wow. And we were buried by him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, just, just think for a minute. Those wonderful Easter passages where Jesus rises and his disciples meet him and the, and the women sort of rejoice and, and Jesus appears and, uh, and they have fish together and all this sort of stuff uh, and he's got that wonderful body that can appear and disappear and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and we go, wow, that's fantastic. Uh, that's not unique. It's going to be your experience. The same death, the same resurrection, the same sort of body. It's not sort of version two, Jesus up here and we're down here when, when, when he does his work in us. This passage says it's his death we enter into. It's his resurrection we enter into. It's A grade, full blessing of heaven, nothing held back that is God's plan for you and for me. I mean, yes, we should celebrate baptism because that's what it points to. Read this passage again. Just soak yourself in it. It's, it's just wonderful words. Now, of course, water baptism uh, is not the means of our being saved. In the book of Romans, faith is the means by which we are saved. But we show the faith, we say this faith, we signify this faith and we symbolise this faith with the act of baptism. Faith unites us to Christ and baptism communicates what's happened uh, publicly to the world around us. So an analogy would be, you know, uh, with this ring, I the wed. Um, it's not this ring that, that makes me married to my wife. Uh, that was a promise made, I'm not going to say how many years ago, because um, I'd get it wrong anyway. Um, uh, she always corrects me. <laughs> but I don't think any of you were there on that day. So, you know, uh, this is the symbol of the promises that we made on that day. And that's kind of the way that, uh, that baptism works. Wow, sounds great. So, I do want to say one, a couple of other things about baptism. It's, it's actually a bit ridiculous. I mean, let's be honest. The world thinks we're nuts. It's kind of akin for me saying, right, everybody go outside and stand in public on the roof of your car and jump up and down, put some dents in the roof and make a noise. Why would you do that? We don't act like that. And normally we don't get a whole big crowd and then one person fully dressed in clothes walking into a bathtub and right under even their hair a streaming mess and you come up and, and everyone claps. And Why would you do that? It's, it's you know, I think, I think that Jesus actually made it a little bit awkward, deliberately. 
You know, we often think that in the ancient world they just thought that sort of thing was normal. No, they didn't. It was just as weird back then, I assure you. Um, there's, there's, there's some... I should have brought them with me, actually. I really should have. I wish I had now I thought of it. Uh, we have some uh, newspaper articles from Sydney for the very first occasion a Baptist was baptised and it was in Sydney Harbour in Australia. And you should read the mocking newspaper article. It's just... They were as Australian as we are now back then. They just didn't get it. Um, But uh, nevertheless, we do that because we see it as a confronting witness to to the things that Jesus did. Um, And I think I've got to say that this symbolism of burial and resurrection, I can say this safely in a Baptist church, it's rather lost if we just sprinkle with water. Um, I actually do think it's possible. I've even baptised people by sprinkling, by the way. Um, no problem with that. Um, one of my churches, for instance, I had an elderly gentleman with medical bracing. He wanted to get baptised and he'd been grieving for years and he couldn't. Because the, and I said, don't be stupid. We'll do you on Sunday morning. And I stood there and put my fingers in a glass and sprinkled them over his head. Do you think God was put off by that? Not a bit of it. God looks to the heart. So it's not that you can't get baptised by sprinkling, it's just it robs it of a little bit of its power in the same way that a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine kind of robs communion a little bit of its power sometimes too, doesn't it? So it's not that it's completely illegitimate, it's just not the model that Scripture recommends. And, you know, I think there's no doubt that Scripture... Listen to this verse, just this one verse to, to, um, to do this. Uh, John 3.23 John was also baptising at Aeneon near Salem because the water was plentiful there. Why did he go to Aeneon to baptise? Because there was enough water to do it. Did he need to go there if he was just sprinkling someone from a cup in his hand? No. So there's no doubt the biblical model is immersion and it's a really wonderful, powerful thing to do. Now... Uh, one other thing to say, uh, we call ourselves Baptists because we're obsessed with baptism. No. Um, I don't know if you were aware of this or not, but um, our enemies actually gave us that name. It was an insult. <laughs> so when the early Baptist church was sort of starting in, uh, in England, everyone else sort of went, oh, Baptists, you know, meaning to put us down, and we went, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> actually, I think it was a bit of a mistake because... We're not on about baptism, we are on about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that kind of shifts the emphasis a bit. But nevertheless, I kind of like the humour and the fact that we went, yeah, that'll do, that's, that's who we are. Um, so, that's all wonderful. When we baptise people, it is our tradition to bring them into the membership of the church. We say to them that baptism is not the end, that it's just a welcoming ceremony and that by joining the church, um, you continue in a community to live the rest of your life out together. And there's various ways of joining the church. You can't immediately just turn up, and in a sense, you're part of a church, aren't you? And there's probably people here today who have been coming here for a long time, and uh, you've never actually formally joined the membership of the church, but Andy wants to talk to you, so go and talk to him. Um, Because it is a nice step to do that. It's always nice to, to have ceremony and ritual and formal acknowledgement of what is essentially God's call on your life to be a part of this church. So don't ever go thinking that uh, you know, these guys were called by God to be here but you just turned up. That's appalling. That, that, that's, 
Like we are all part of a church because God lays it upon our heart to be there. And so I think it's good to say that to each other. And that's all membership is in the end. Um, but of course there is this link that we have traditionally had that as Baptist churches um, that we should be baptised in order to come into membership. Um, and that's in a couple of churches I've been in now. It's been a journey we went on and we actually changed the constitution, the rules, the traditions around that a little bit. Um, uh, let me say one other thing. Um, infant baptism uh, is not practised by our Baptist churches anywhere that I know of. I think it would be a little difficult to be a Baptist and do that. Um, I do understand the motive behind infant baptism. It's, it's not that people are trying to subvert scripture or anything. Uh, a lot of really great Christians uh, follow that tradition. Um, and, and in their hearts, I understand what they're trying to do. They're, they're standing in for the intent of their children and they're saying the church community and the family is a sacred thing that will bring up these children and point them toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So I get that, I applaud that. I just don't think it's the biblical model. Um, and, you know, a second hand pointing to the work of Jesus for someone else, it's just not a biblical thing. It's, it's just not really there. So I firmly prefer believers' baptism as the best biblical model and phew, because that means we Baptists got it right. Well, did we? Let me give you two ways in which I think Baptists get baptism wrong. Firstly, uh, yeah, it's in church, that's why I didn't include that one. <laughs> Firstly, we somewhere stop the practice of baptising new converts. Do you find that in scripture? Where's the six weeks of baptism lessons before they baptise you in scripture, I ask you? <laughs> Philip's riding along with a eunuch and he says, do you understand Isaiah? Well, I don't, don't get it at all. Let me give you a half an hour of instruction. Are right, you ready for baptism? And I was talking about Isaiah, not Romans passages. Um, so out they get and they get baptised. And that's the consistent model. It seems like scripture is not scared to baptise people who've come to faith. And we somehow got scared of that. And so we, we moved baptism. We preachers were the worst at it, you know. The biblical message is repent and be baptised. And we preachers went, repent and put your hand up so I can see you. Yeah, that, that's how we know you're a Christian because you put your hand in the air or you walk to the front and we can counsel you. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a better way. Jesus came up with it and it's called baptism. And so what we did was we moved it from conversion to becoming a mark of advanced discipleship. So you're really serious, serious, serious about, about your faith now, are you? Consider it to battle. Well, we'll do the six weeks of lessons with you and, and we'll have a vote about it. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm taking the mickey a little bit. But you, you know what I mean. I, I think that was a thing that we've gotten wrong. Another thing that I think that we as Baptists have gotten wrong is that um, we used baptism, a conversion statement designed by Christ to point to the power of his death and resurrection, we used that to exclude other Christians who also fully believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. And if that's the genesis, then why the restriction, I ask? That's the challenge that our churches are considering at the moment. And it's pretty much happening across the Baptist world. So, for instance, you may not be aware of this, but um, 
Uh, it's usually called open membership. You're using the term covenant membership here. That's another one that gets flown around. Uh, more than half of our churches in New South Wales are now in open membership churches. So there's been a movement that's, that's going through our churches. It's not new either, by the way. Um, there's, they've always been open Baptist churches. The very first one in Australia, here in Sydney, was an open membership Baptist church. Our South Australian denomination has always been open membership. So it's not quite the radical, scary thing that we might think that it is. But um, we used baptism to say, unless you exactly think like I do about baptism, uh, you can't be, uh, you know, unless you practice baptism like I do, you can't be a member of a Baptist church. I remember being struck by this feeling of absurdity one day. I was reading a book by John Stott, the British Anglican evangelical author. Um, I don't know if you've ever read a book by John Stott. If you haven't, get one and read it. He is awesome. And I was just so blessed by what he was saying and then the thought struck me, what a shame he's not qualified to be a member of my church. Um, and at that point it just it struck me the absurdity of our human systems that here is someone clearly powerfully evangelical and used of God and yet I'll be with him in heaven. I'm looking forward to that actually. But I couldn't be with him in church membership. Hmm. There may be some issues with the way that we design things sometimes. Now, the counter-argument to this, of course, that I am very aware of, is that it is good to have a proper doctrinal practice of believers' baptism. We should preserve it. So it's worth having a membership that holds to that belief and that doctrine. I actually think it is. I don't want to change that. I do want to have a membership that holds to right doctrine about baptism. So how do we do both? And the attempted answer is what we call open membership. So, what do I mean by that? As I said, the majority of New South Wales Baptist churches uh, no longer require baptism for membership of people who have been Christians for many years. Recognising that it's no longer possible for it to be a biblical conversion experience for them. If they've been a Christian for 40 years, they can't be baptised as a new believer. And uh, other factors as well, such as not requiring people to think perhaps that their journey in Christ has been somewhat invalid up to the point of joining my church. So, we modify it. We still require members, it's not fully open, we still require members to affirm our statement of faith. So, if you want to join a Baptist church, even an open membership church, um, and a fully open membership church would just say, we don't care about baptism, just come if you want. We don't do that. We say, if you want to join, for instance, Springwood Baptist Church, you still have to, as a member, sign our doctrine, our statement of faith in our constitution, which says that we believe that believers' baptism is the biblical model for baptism. Now, it may be for you in your journey that era has passed, that opportunity was gone through an accident of birth and circumstance and upbringing and whatever, but as long as you believe that, as long as you're baptistic in your belief, we are happy to welcome you into membership of our church together. So we're not seeking to exclude you. We are seeking still to have that doctrinal difference from churches that would practice child baptism, but we're not seeking to be exclusive in our practice of that because we don't see anywhere in Scripture where baptism is even required for salvation, let alone anywhere in Scripture where baptism is required for church membership. So therefore we've, we've, we think we have freedom to work on that just a little bit. But we don't want to lose that biblical commitment. 
so we don't allow committed child baptisers into our membership to dilute that. So how does that work? The, the big fear in, in this could be that you know, maybe we'll lose the practice of, um, of baptism. We've never lost the practice of communion and it's not required for membership, is it? We do communion because it's great to do it. And we do baptism because it's great to do it. So uh, two weeks ago, we baptised five young people at our youth night on Friday night at Springwood. Uh, And uh, it was just a night of celebration. We wanted to do it there because so many of their friends would come along that wouldn't come to the church service and so forth. And the point of baptism is it's a testimony to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what effect that's had on my life. So we didn't want to do it hidden away on a Sunday. So we did it where their friends could see it and hear it and understand it. And it was a fabulous night. Oh, by the way, uh, of course, there's a service at Springwood this morning and we have a young mum getting baptised there this morning. Uh, it's kind of ironic that I'm up here speaking about baptism and I've left my associate to do the baptism down there. Um, but I'm finding that, if anything, we're baptising people more often because I'm no longer having to have a conversation with them. Oh, baptism, yes, that's what you have to do in order to be a member of our church. Find me the text on that as a motive for baptism. No, instead I'm free to be more biblical in, in my understanding. I can sit with someone and go, yeah, I really would challenge you, even at a later stage in your life, I still challenge people, uh, to be baptised. Why? Because Jesus commended it, because it points to his death and resurrection. It states publicly what Jesus has done in your life. It's a fantastic thing. You'll be blessed. Why don't you consider it? And it's so good to have that conversation for you of, Now, this is a legal hoop you must jump through in order to become a member of our church. I've had to do those conversations and I never enjoyed them. So personally, I'm really happy with the uh, the transition to that. And can I finish with the real issue? It's good to occasionally pause, and I don't really understand what you're... I had a five-minute conversation with Andy before coming up here, so I don't understand what you're considering in its fullness or what procedures you're following or anything like that which I'm happy with. It means that I'm not commenting on anything that's happening here particularly. Um, But I do think it's good for churches to stop and consider their doctrine like this occasionally, but only for a bit because it's not really the main game, is it? So the main game, the real issue, is not years spent on discussions about baptism. The real issue is let's challenge more people to be baptised. Let's do it. Let's get excited about being children of God. Let's get excited about communicating the gospel. And then when people come to the Lord, let's get excited about having them testify to that publicly and point to it um, uh, in that way. We've been doing a little faith exercise in our pastoral team at, at Springwood for the last three months. finishes at the end of October. We set aside three months for a time of focused prayer for conversions and baptisms. And we actually set a faith goal that bar a miracle in the next two weeks, we won't come anywhere near. We were praying for 20 because we just wanted to be big. We wanted to be audacious. We said, Lord, can you give us 20 new conversions and 20 new baptisms? We didn't get there, but I'm happy to say that we've seen eight new Christians and six baptisms in the three months. God answers prayer. It's his heart to see people come to him. And it's, it's, you know, it's good to sort of have a clear understanding of what we're doing and why. But look, in the long run, I don't think anyone really thinks it matters that much whether you remain a closed membership church or an open membership church or covenant membership in whatever way you put it together. 
the thing is, are we challenging people to accept Jesus Christ? Are we pointing to that death and resurrection and are we making that the focus uh, of what we are? God does answer prayer. He does convict and move. He still has the words of life. And uh, I just pray that he blesses you guys in in your witness and your standing up for that up here in in the upper mountains. Let me pray and then we can take some questions. Father, we just thank you that you sent your son uh, who just changed the world, who changed history, who changed our lives and uh, the wonder of that, uh, that, that willing sacrifice to stand there and bear the brunt of our sin upon his shoulders so that as he rose to new life, he could call us to new life, to death, to feed it forever. Oh, Father, may that be a thing that just obsesses us to our very core and, uh, and defines us as who we are as, as Christians and churches together. We thank you for that and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know whether that was scratching even where you itched. I really am here quite ignorant. So, um, if you've got questions in a different area and I can't answer them, I'll just uh, can't answer them, but that's Okay. Hey, that must have been a good sermon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's there's two levels. Uh, if you didn't hear the question, why bother being a member? What when you could just go to church? Firstly, we live in the real world, so this is not the very spiritual reason. This is the practical reason. The government needs to know who the church is. Um, you know, if there are um, offences committed, who's liable? Who owns the property? Uh, you know, who, who pays the bills? So, in a, the, the mere fact we live in a world and you own property in particular uh, means that there has to be a group of people that go, yeah, that's us. You know, and and I'm, not, I'm not ashamed to be identified as a church. That's the practical reason. Um, in fact, I've got a, a friend who's a Baptist pastor who actually doesn't do formal membership. And I said to him, I said, well, how does the government know who your membership is? Just on that practical level, oh, I can membership role, I just just put them on it when they attend. And I went, oh, I see, so you've got a membership, you just don't tell them about it. (laughs) That's a wonderful method, that is. Nothing deceitful about that at all. So, yeah, that's the practical level. But the one that interests me more is that we need to know who our family is. We need to know who's committed. We need to know who says, yes, we hold a, a reasonably common understanding of uh, you know, an evangelical view of baptism. It's just one aspect. There's lots of other doctrine in there. Uh, we're committed to serving our community from a base that we can identify not as me. It's not me, Philip War at Springwood. It's Springwood Baptist Church. It's a family. And its reputation is the reputation of Christ. It's not my idea, it's Christ's idea to create the church. Um, And uh, there clearly was, right from the beginning, a strong sense of belonging. You were either in or you're out. And human systems just require that I think it's good for us to say that to each other. And formally there's reasons to to need to know who it is as well. But really the thing is, where are you called? If you're called to be a part of this community... You know the thing that I, I've, I, I joke about this at Springwood, but the rule is, 
the next person who tells me that they're not going to become a member because they don't like business meetings has to wash my car. <laughs> it's a rule. I'm sorry, there's no grace. It's just a rule at Springwood. And they all know it because I hate it when people say that to me. Membership doesn't have anything to do with church meetings in that sense. It's about ownership of the church family. It's about the call of God on your life. And um, yes, I think it's good when there's issues such as the calling of a pastor or setting of budgets or whatever it might be, purchasing your property, big decisions. Where we, we need to know what God is saying to all of us. So come together for those meetings. But if, it's not compulsory for church membership. I actually have an argument with my team about that because I preached that and then they sat in our team meeting next week and said, Phil, our constitution says if you're a member you should be at church meetings. And I went, I don't care what the constitution says. <laughs> because it's not primarily about that. It's about our fellowship together and our ministry together. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming today. Oh, you're welcome. I really enjoyed that. And... Um, yeah, thought of, yeah, thought it was of sort of a bit of a scattergun approach, but yeah. yeah. Well, but it cleared up a lot, and I think half the problem has been that we haven't had a really clear and concise what is going to happen and, and what our even beliefs are on baptism. So, so that really cleared everything up. I guess one concern for me is that other beliefs, and even like children who may have been christened a long time ago, don't really even understand what what they're what they were christened for and uh, i think I, I read through the um springwood baptist thing during the week and and discretion was a really good word that was used that not everyone who may have been christened will be accepted i guess yeah but uh, there are other beliefs that really don't believe that jesus did die and yeah. was buried and resurrected yeah. and that's yeah. that's a real concern for me that yeah. and i'm not want to throw a blanket over that whole thing yeah. but but if you come from a denomination that really is pretty wishy-washy about that kind of thing, how can we accept that as a statement of faith when yeah. we should... Well, we are really strong about that and yeah. personally yeah. I'm really strong about that Absolutely. and I know people here are as well. So yeah. that, that's sort of a real conflict for me and yeah. Yeah. I, you've sort of cleared that up and I yeah, appreciate yeah. what you've said. Look, but I'll, I'll, I'll have another bash at Baptists at me because I'm a Baptist preacher I just assume everyone knows what baptism is. And I shouldn't. I, I should be preaching this sort of message. Remember, it points to Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not a ritual just to join the church. It's not just some tradition. It is about pointing to Jesus' death and resurrection and my participation in that. It's both at the same time. Oh, look what Jesus has done for me. Uh, and I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing this embarrassing thing in front of you all and I don't care because that's what Jesus means to me. Uh, and yes, we, we do need to make sure that people coming in from outside know that and agree with it. But I think we need to say it a bit more often ourselves too, just to make sure there's no... Because I suspect a lot of Baptists just think it's the right of entry to the church and think nothing more of it. So we, we should keep saying that. Thank you, it's a good point. Were you baptised as adults, believers? Oh, um, no, I don't know of any Baptist church that would say you need to be re-baptised. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But there's all sorts of situations in life. You know, we tend to think just Australia, you know, and you might have been brought up an Anglican and got baptised. But we confronted this first at Carlingford Church when I was there. 
because Carlingford's now a very Chinese area. Right? Now, a lot of the Chinese were coming in and they'd been baptised as adult believers with a cup of water on their head because that was just the custom over in China where they came from. And suddenly we had about 20 or 30 of these Chinese in the church who, yes, they were baptised as believers but not by full immersion and people were going... Oh, what do we do with that? And I'm going, oh, please, what does God think of us sometimes, you know? So that was one of the genesis there that led us to go, can we just drop the silly rule side of it and keep the central doctrine and belief about it and, and keep going, practising uh, as best we can the biblical model, but not holding against people who, in all goodness of faith, came to Jesus and were baptised as best they knew how. And, uh, yeah, so the answer is, I don't know of any Baptist church that would ever have made you be rebaptized. Uh, even from a different denomination as believers. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's all sorts of twists, isn't there? Yeah. 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 What he's done for us, yep. and we're throwing a lot in with this church family to be a part of it. Yeah. serve him yeah. and honour him. Yeah. It's commitment. I, I agree with that very strongly. In fact, I've got a bit of an argument. This is... Don't tell anyone this. No, no one at Springwood knows this. I've got a bit of an ongoing argument with my board at Springwood because we do baptism and then they require a separate process for membership and it does my head in. Like, what is baptism if it doesn't immediately grant you access to, to the community you're baptised in? And uh, so I hate the fact that it's, and hopefully we'll get that changed and we'll bring the two events together. Um, the, the, other, the other thing that, um, um, what's the other thing? I've lost my train of thought, it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh yes, I have occasionally refused to baptise someone because they're not a member of my church. Now, if they never had a chance of being baptised anywhere else, I'd do it. But I say to them, no. Go to your church and get baptised because it's a statement of belonging to your church and, and membership there. And I, I just don't understand why someone would, I don't know, is it a cleaner baptistry or something? You've know, you, you got, you got a fairly nice one. You, you might get a line-up or something. You know? um, it, it is about that local community and our, and our witness and participation there. Uh, does anyone want to push back? I, I can handle it, by the way. I'm not the font of all wisdom. You might, you might have something. Then, in a sense, that's the starting of watering down oh, yeah. our beliefs. But, but um, yeah. I guess my, my question is: Have any of these churches that um, don't, you know, that have been open membership, in open membership for yeah. a couple of hundred years, yeah. are they different doctrinally than yeah. um, any other Baptist I, church? I think in any that other is way? the key issue. That's the only danger I see in the whole thing. And as I say, it hasn't affected our. Communion's not mandatory, and we still do communion, don't we? And yes, for 400 years, there have been Baptist churches who have been open membership. 400 years. And they're still baptising people. They haven't lost it. And I haven't, no hint, I haven't heard anyone anywhere go, oh, gee, this is a terrible change. We're baptising less people. If we're baptising less people, it's because we're converting less people. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not that we're, we're losing that link. Yeah. I was baptised. I mean, a long time ago, he did that <coughs> down the mountains. Okay. And it was where I was, where I was living. And uh, I, I was surprised to know that when I was baptised, 
I, I actually, the pair, my parents didn't, didn't like the idea. Oh, yes. well, why did you get baptized? You've already been baptized as a baby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was, you know, and I, because, cause, yeah. you know, and I've been baptized, yeah. I'm now a member, but it was just one of those things that it is. just happened. It, this is somewhere where I tread cautiously because people have different makeup in their faith journey. So I always, when someone comes to me and says, can I talk to you about baptism? And they might say, I was baptised as a child. I'm still happy to talk to them about baptism and I'm always happy to baptise them. But some people are happy to go, you know, I really feel from reading scripture that Jesus wants me to do this. And even though I know it's not truly a conversion experience baptism, such as it should have been, um, I, I want to do it now anyway. And I think that's perfectly legitimate. But it's also legitimate when someone says, if I do that, my parents will be just mortally insulted. I'm not there to bring rift in their family. Um, you know, or, or some people go, you know, I've always looked back to my baptism, even though I was so young I don't remember it, as the starting point. So when I did come to self-awareness, I claimed it for myself and I've always journeyed for that. And for me to be baptised again now feels like I'm, I'm selling all that out. It just rips my heart out. Yeah. I hear that. That's okay. I'm not going to push you under the water. Um, it's between you and God to come to those things. That, that's why I think Jesus didn't make it mandatory. He, he just recommends it and then it's between you and the Holy Spirit the way you enter into these things. And so I think just a little bit of sensitivity and uh, the practice will flourish amongst us you know, without those rules. Um, yeah. Just about a baptism. Um, when I was told that I had to be baptised... Yeah. And I said, well, I was christened. And they said, yeah. Yeah, but you have to be fully immersed. Yep. I was terrified yeah. because I could not stand my head under water. Even uh, in the shower, yeah. I'd be like this. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I, all I was thinking, oh, I yeah. hope I don't come up throwing punches at Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish I you had. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I went under that water. Yeah. The peace. Yeah. I, I've yeah. never gotten over the peace that came yes, it's over. always a blessing. And I lost it? three of my te- yeah. fears. Yeah. What the f- first one was dying. So God is faithful. There you go. And yeah. I mean, it'd be that bad, I'd have to get up out of yeah. bed because the bed seemed to be spinning in there. Yeah. terrified of the dark yeah. and um, where we were was on, the house was on the big block of land the clothesline was woof woof and I thought yeah. oh gee and I went out and came back in and I thought I went out in the dark and wasn't frightened <laughs> that's great but all that's... these things came over I hope you've told that testimony before if you haven't tell it again <laughs> <laughs> and it was the best day's work I, I yeah. didn't bring myself. I reckon I was brought yeah. by the scruff of the neck. Yeah. I was very disillusioned with yeah. the Presbyterian Church right. and what yeah. they did to my husband when yeah. he was very ill and okay. that. And, um, I had not, I'm ashamed to admit that I hadn't been to church for five years. Yeah. Yeah. And I woke up and I said to Ruby, I've got to go to church. And he said, uh, where are you going? I said, I don't know, I'll tell you when I came home. And it was not my personal choice. I think I was got by the scruff of the neck <laughs> and brought here. And I've been here. That was in 1985. I've been there you here. go. And it was just oh, the most wonderful experience. Yeah. It was a wonderful family. Yeah. I've got a book family. 
But my church family is wonderful. That's great. You You kept telling that to me. The other experience I remember having as a kid that never quite sat right with me was, you know, because I grew up in a very traditional Baptist church and um, it would usually be my father doing the baptism, so he wasn't perfect either, just like me. And it was almost like the, the feel of those services were, you know, someone had been, say, in the Anglican church, came to our church, got involved and consented to be baptised. And it was like, yes, we've shown those Anglicans that this is the real view of baptism. What is that? that that's not what baptism is about. Um, and so it, it gives us a chance to move away from that sort of thing as well. Yep. Um, I remember being struck uh, listening a couple of years ago to Dale Stevenson from Crossway Baptist Church in, in Melbourne and he, uh, he was recounting the story of someone uh, who had been baptised, was eligible to join his church and had been in his church for some years and said to him, you know, this is the most difficult church to join in all of Australia and Dale said, what do you mean? He said, the baptism course is six nights and it's over six weeks and I travel with work. I've started it three times and can never finish it. What are you got to do to become a member of this church? And I was very convicted by that and he said, you know, we shouldn't ever melt down the challenge of what it is to be a member. And there is a challenge to being a member. You're, you're going to pray for your church. You're going to financially support the work of your church. You're going to give your time in ministry of the church. You're called to your church. We don't want to melt that down at all. But he said, what we've got to do is we've got to remove the, the barriers. And he's put his entire membership course online. We're currently working, it should be up in a week or two, our membership course online. Because we want to be able to say to people, here's the link, go and do it. And then all we've got to do is come and interview you and go, you're a Christian, get your testimony written down, praise God, and you're in. We want to shorten the hurdles that come with both baptism and membership. So, yeah, I, I fully agree. Um, it's not quite still as easy as it was for Philip and the Ethiopian, was it? But, uh, but at least we'll be a bit closer. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you were talking about um, child baptism. Yep. And um, I know, I was just trying to clarify what you meant by child baptism. I know recently we've had a younger person who's in kids' church and yep. is like year five, year four. Yep. And it was their fully choice to yep. get baptised and they were yep. called by God to. I was just trying to clarify, is it that no, I, or... I should have said baby baptism. Ba- baby <laughs> baptism, okay. Right. Yeah. Look, it's a judgment call when they're that young. I, I'm usually heavily guided by the parents. Do they understand it? Is it just trying to be popular or pleasing or, or whatever? Um, but uh, in America, for instance, Baptist churches, the average age is around five or six years of age. They baptise that. Uh, they consider here in Australia we're very late in our baptisms. So a lot of this is cultural. Um, but the, 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 the principle is 
do they follow Jesus because they choose to? Yeah. yeah. As a pastor, I've gathered more stories about kids who are knocked back and then lose their way later. Many more stories than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never, I don't know how many people I've baptised over the years, it's a fair number. Um, I have never, ever, ever had anyone be baptised and go, oh yeah, that was... That was interesting. Never. It's a total blessing every time. It's a spiritual experience every time. Absolutely it is. Are we getting hungry yet? <laughs> One more? Yep. I was just looking in John 3, 22 and... Um, it's interesting that John the Baptist uh, was pointing towards Jesus, not himself. Yes. And uh, in 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Jordan countryside where he spent time with them and baptised. Yeah. Now, John was also baptising at somewhere or other, Aaron near Siloam because there was plenty of water and people and people were constantly coming to be baptised this was before John was put in prison an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing they came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who testified about, well, he is baptising and everybody is going to him. So I think scripture describes it pretty well. It does really, doesn't it? Though isn't it interesting they were arguing about it even then? <laughs> That's people. Can I just say something? Um, Andy has been very trusting here today. I just want to really honour that. Um, he really didn't know what I was going to say and yet he's open enough to go, ah, it's okay, the Lord will work it out and uh, I just want to say you've got a great guy there and uh, look after him. <laughs>